0: Welcome to Talk with the Texan, Money and Life with Troy Eckert. This program is thought-provoking, informative, entertaining, and down to business. We face facts and ideas about how to make, protect, and build your net worth. You'll get over three decades of frontline experiences and real-life examples of what to do and the pitfalls to avoid. Now, here's Troy Eckert.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for joining me today, folks. We're going to have a great show. We had a little bit of a, a technical glitch in our microphone, so it may be a little bit lower or distorted today than normal. But let me tell you something. My enthusiasm, my energy level will take you right through the show. Just want to let you know it was not your speaker, but it's a technical difficulty we had inside the uh, the studio. So first off, let me remind you, this show is about money and life. This is Talk with the Texan. I'm Troy W. Eckert out of Allen, Texas. The fact of the matter is, is life is all about how we can measure ourselves against what we expected from the beginning to the end. And the fact of the matter is, I have been working with accredited high net worth investors since 1985. I have learned and I have been able to go to one of the greatest colleges you could ever go to, the colleges of hard knocks, the colleges of life and reality. Remember, if you ever have a desire to pick the phone up and call me during the show, you can just dial 866 472-5790. 472-5790. This is talk with the text, and now let's get started. You know, every week I have to decide what I'm going to talk about, and man, I've got so much great material. And I'm thinking to myself, today, what what is it that we want to talk about this week? What is this going on in the world we want to talk about? And I tell you, what's really been interesting and really been you know pulling at my heartstrings, or at least on my on my brain, and that is why is it that some entrepreneurs thrive. And so many entrepreneurs flame out or fail. Now, I was down taking my daughter to college this week. She transferred into a new university. And I'm driving through this college town. It's a robust college town. I mean, they've got 65,000 students. It's well-known all across the nation. And I'm going down there thinking, man, I'm going to see this town alive. I'm going to see businesses and college kids. I'm going to see this place packed with everything going on. And when I get there, what I realize it's not as busy as I thought. What I realized is that it looks almost a little bit like a battleground. It looks like many businesses, which shut down last year due to the COVID-19 lockdown, which businesses may or may not have got the U.S. stimulus money, which may or may not have done a good job in planning for their budget and their cash flow, are not coming back. I saw lots of brand new buildings completely empty. I saw lots of restaurants Signs on the door says closed, not open. I see many commercial buildings, not open. I see many houses for sale, for rent. And it just seemed to me that when I take a look across the landscape, not just people that I work with or investors that I represent or millionaires that I have great discussions and in-depth about the economy and politics and where things are going, but this is what I'd call frontline evidence of what's taking place in America today. And what's taking place is simply this. We are learning some very tough lessons. We're learning that just because you start a business does not give you any assurance of success. We're learning, in fact, even if you've been successful for a period of time, your chances of failure are still very high because we are in a very, very fluid economy. We're in a very fluid technological advanced state of business. For those who are not embracing the changes, you're probably gonna succumb to the failure of that lack of planning. And the truth of the matter is, is that when you think about why some entrepreneurs thrive and others flame out or disappear or go out of business, you start asking yourself, well, let's talk about who these entrepreneurs are. Let's talk about what makes somebody an entrepreneur. So the old question always is, you know, are leaders born? Are leaders created? Now, we can argue that to the cows come home because I'm sure there's just as many that you would put in the camp of, hey, these guys were born leaders. They were a leader from the time they were in the daycare school all the way to the time they're an adult. Uh, This other group on the right-hand side, man, the last person I thought was little Johnny was ever gonna be a leader. He wasn't gonna be a military leader, a business leader, CFO, CEO. I never thought he had it in him to be a leader of anybody based on what I saw when he was a kid. So the truth of the matter is, we have to discern or figure out, first off, What makes an entrepreneur? Is an entrepreneur truly a leader? Or is an an entrepreneur more of an opportunist? Does that person who sees the arbitrage, sees the opening, sees the window in a possible product or service that can fill a void or fill a need, is that person really the leader? Or is that person who has an innate skill to figure out, hey, I see an opportunity. I'm not the person to lead the band, but I sure am the person to find the members of the band. I'm sure the party that's going to find the band leader, I'm sure the party is going to find all the different players with the different instruments in the band. And I'm sure the one that's going to facilitate putting that all together. So that way we can, in fact, have a band. Now, let's talk about what my view is. Now, there's some really crazy things about entrepreneurs. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you right now, you can put a a group of a thousand millionaires or entrepreneurs in a room and you're going to have a thousand different personalities. You're probably going to have a characteristic list that can go from A to Z. But there is some common traits, at least from my 36 years experience, there's some common traits which tell me similar attributes or characteristics of entrepreneurs exist. Now let's let's take a couple of let's take a couple of outliers. First off, I know of a lot of current generations of, of individuals that inherited their family business. Business was running, money's in the bank, sales are there, facilities in place, customers are in line. And really it's kind of on autopilot. If you just don't screw it up, if you just don't change what's already been working, there's a good chance that business can sustain and live beyond the initial family member who created that business. So let's take that out of the equation, okay? The second thing is, it doesn't mean, it does not mean that if you inherit a business, you're not an entrepreneur. And it doesn't mean you're not gonna be highly successful, but highly successful entrepreneurship requires some characteristics, whether you're first or second or third generation and those characteristics are as follows. I think almost all successful entrepreneurs that I have run across, I would deem them to be eccentric. You say eccentric, eccentric how? Well, I would say most entrepreneurs don't know how to paint inside the lines. Um, When they look at a coloring book, probably when they're the age of three, four, five years old, even if they're not capable for mechanically coloring inside the lines, they choose not to. And what they're really looking at is they're looking at an opportunity to say, This can be whatever I want it to be. Well, let's say it's Donald Duck on the page. So one kid will look at it and say, this is a duck. Here's the lines. I have seen other Donald Duck pictures and Donald Duck should be colored in a certain fashion. I would say that a typical individual will try to succumb to what is already drawn on the page, stay within the lines, try to imitate or try to gravitate toward the colors and the selections of a previously viewed Donald Duck. An entrepreneur is kind of weird. They're eccentric. They look at the page and go, you know, a true entrepreneur looks at the page and goes, I wonder what kind of paper that's made out of. Why do they make it out of this kind of paper? Does it absorb the crayon better than a different type of paper? Why wasn't it slick? Why wasn't it a higher grade? Why wasn't it thicker? In fact, why wasn't it transparent? Could they have made the paper smaller, physically save the money by making it not by eight and a half by 11, maybe they should have made it by seven and a half by 10, twice as many photographs, twice as thick a book, or maybe sold it for a higher profit. In other words, entrepreneurs don't see the obvious. They see the unobvious. They're eccentric in the way they live their lives. They're eccentric in the way they view things. They're eccentric in that they don't have a great deal of who they are as being normal. This could be a brand new startup entrepreneur. This could be somebody who's a serial entrepreneur, has done five, six, 20 different companies. But this can also apply to somebody who's been in a family business who looks at the way maybe the dad or the mom or the grandfather started the business and say, yeah, it's been a great widget company. I've seen it for 30 years grow. It's, it's fantastic. But the truth of the matter is grandpa's missed it. He's missed. It's not, it's not about building the saddle for horses. It's not about how the saddle is designed. It's not how many saddles he makes. He's missing the point. The greatest value in making those saddles is I get to supply all the parts to those saddles when they break. There's more money in the parts and the replacement of those saddles than it is in the saddle itself. So maybe the second generation entrepreneur being eccentric minded or at least thinking outside the box says, thank you for giving me the seed. Now let me turn it into a sapling which gives me opportunity to turn it into a tree which hopefully one day will become an orchard. And that is gonna be our topic today. Our topic today is gonna be pretty simple. What is our greatest competition? Our greatest competition is always gonna be ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we as individuals, as we think about how we're gonna tackle money in life, and as we think about balancing the quality of life that we want, or at least the expectation of how we're gonna live our life, with the available capital, the monetary resources to be able to go take on the life we wanna live, we're gonna be a little bit weird in our thinking because we don't want a job. We don't wanna punch in at eight, punch out at five. We don't wanna be given a salary and told, hey, this is what you're gonna make for the next 25 years. If you in any way can calculate your earnings over your career, you're not an entrepreneur. If you in any way rely on somebody else to fulfill your financial goals as far as salary and benefits, insurance and health and retirement, you're really not an entrepreneur. Oh, I know, I'm insulting some of you. are saying, well, yes, I am. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a job as an engineer. I want to work 30 years. I'll take the money that I make. I'll invest in houses. You're not an entrepreneur. I'm sorry, not by my definition. My definition says that I want to be like the horse without a bridle. I want to come and go when I want. I want to run as fast or slow as I want. I want to be able to find the open pasture. I want to be able to avoid the, the tragedies of being near something that might uh, hurt me or harm me or eat me or consume me. I want to be able to fall down and get up on my own. More importantly, as I never want anybody to put reins on me. OK, first thing is I'm going to be eccentric. I'm going to think about the things that other people just don't think about. All right. Second thing, <laughs> what I find is that entrepreneurs are unrelenting. I have seen some hard-headed people in my life, but the fact of the matter is I've never seen anybody as hard-headed as an entrepreneur. These entrepreneurs, when they get themselves stuck on something, it is literally Katie bar the door. It is one of those situations where that individual says, I see the vision. I see the final destiny. I see where I'm going. I see how I'm going to get there. I'm not sure on certain aspects of it. Maybe I'm not a great accountant. Maybe I'm not a great marketer. Maybe I'm not good at raising money, but I know I've got this idea and I know it's going to work. So I'm going to Put together the effort, the energy, the excitement to get it to go, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to backfill that by trying to find the right people, the right uh, business concepts, the right the right part parts of the entrepreneurial idea to get it going off the next to the next level. And then they just they're unrelenting; they don't stop, 24 seven. They work seven days a week, and that brings us to the next thing, which is um, they're big self critics. True entrepreneurs, not 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 the arrogant, not the not the ones who at all costs, sacrifice, everybody and everything around it. But I'm talking the true self critics are never satisfied. They're not satisfied with yesterday's performance because they go home and they analyze and say, I could have done better. See, a true entrepreneur is doing it for the art of the game. It's not money. See, every time you think you're rich, somebody else is richer. Every time that Bezos gets richer, Elon Musk's stock goes up and now he's richer. And every time somebody's number one, somebody else becomes number one. And the truth of the matter is, it's the greatest competition we have in our life as i said before is ourselves so from the standpoint of what i want to do as an entrepreneur i need to know that yeah i'm going to think outside the box i'm going to be unrelenting in my goal and my path cuz nobody's going to stop me i got to be self critical i got to tell myself what i'm doing wrong i got to know what i'm doing right and i got to figure that out because the fewer mistakes i make the greater probability i have of success the problem is what I see with people tell me, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm starting a landscape business, a HVAC business, an engineering business, a software business. What I find is they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear criticism. They don't give themselves criticism. What they do is they find ways to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, well, I tried that. Well, I did. They, they don't want to hear it because it means you got to look down in a deep, dark hole of who you are and tell yourself, hey, the butt starts and stops here. And I am, I am the core of this engine and this idea. And unless I'm allowing a modification of who I am and what I'm doing and where I'm going, unless I can look at what I'm doing every day and improve on it, I'm gonna get no better output tomorrow than I got today because I did not take one step to improve it. All right, I need to recognize again, I only have to figure out how to make me better, make my decisions better, make my direction better I need to make sure that I always stay focused, not listening to the background noise, but stay focused on the competition within, which is to improve who I am every single day. And that's tough because sometimes that self-criticism leads to alcohol abuse or it leads to drug abuse or it leads to broken marriages or it leads to all kinds of other bad habits. Because sometimes looking aside that deep, well, you don't like what you see, but guess what? It takes real courage to look inside and say, you know what, for me to be successful as an entrepreneur, not only must I look inside, I must look inside and decide what I have to modify, even if it's not comfortable and it's painful, right? I need to be willing to sacrifice. Now, this may be one of the strongest, but yet also one of the hardest attributes of an entrepreneur. Why is that? Well, I don't know how many clients I have that are on their second, third, and fourth marriage. I don't know how many of my clients over the years have no relationship with their kids. They don't have a relationship with their son, their daughter, or their kids are around, but it's very, you can sell it's very stale. It's very peripheral. They, they It's not like a bond. I don't know how many times I find out they're not close to their brothers or their sisters or their siblings or their parents. I can tell you that being an entrepreneur is incredibly lonely. I can tell you that your mind never stops. You're always thinking about the abstract. You're always looking at the what ifs. And as your mind stays busy and you think about all these things, you find yourself not providing the necessary relationships that you should have. And so what happens to us as entrepreneurs is we find ourselves alone, bored, looking for the next horizon, looking for the next sunset, and that leaves a lot of carnage along the way. And so therefore that carnage results in losses of things that otherwise a non-entrepreneur might pay more attention to, might more invest in, such as the marriage or relationship, kids, family, wife, relatives, et cetera, right? The other thing that I would say is that entrepreneurs, for the most part, they push the envelope. And this might be why some entrepreneurs Thrive and others flame out. For example, let's take the college I was at. I go down and I see all these businesses that are out of business. Now, the average person might look at that and go, Wow, I don't think I'd open a restaurant right now. I don't think I'd open a coffee shop. I don't think I would open up this or I wouldn't go buy a strip center or a commercial building. Look at all the defaulting and closed up shops. I'm sure they're losing rent. And if you do kind of a real estate analysis, you think to yourself, why would I ever go down and buy real estate? There's too much of it. It's, it's abundant. It's, it's got a lot of vacancies. So it may not be what I would call a robust real estate market because of excess supply, apparently low demand. And therefore your, your situation is, is this the best place to go embark on? See, I like battlefields. I like to see where there's carnage. I like to see where the apple cart has been turned over and the apples are all over the road. And everybody says, oh my gosh, man. That guy lost all of his money, his apples all over the road. Some are getting run over by cars, some are eaten by the horses. But the truth of the matter is, I look at it and say to myself, hey, Mr. Guy with the cart, hey, hey, guy, I got a question for you. I'll take your every apple in your cart. What were you going to sell them for? Well, I was going to sell them for 50 cents a piece. I'll give you five cents a piece to buy the right to all your apples that I can go pick up. I don't care how many are lost, how many are eaten by the horse, how many are, are crushed by the cars that are passing by. I'll take every apple you have for five cents. I just got all his apples for 10 cents a dollar. I only have to find 10% of the apples to be able to make my money back, selling them at 50 cents an apple. See, one man's loss is another man's treasure. One bad idea results in another more broad thinking eccentric entrepreneurs idea of saying, God, they were so close to the finish line. I was almost there. Let me give you an example. I had a big gas field that I was developing in East Texas in 1999. I was sitting next to two or three major oil and gas companies. Uh, I go in there and I'm just, I mean, I am unrelenting. I'm all in. I'm taking the risk. I'm putting in my own money. I've got investors' monies with me. I am literally looking at that field going, you know what? Uh, man, we are going to make some great wells. It's low risk. It's, we're going to nail it. We drill the first well, this oil and gas well. We drill the first well, and the expert who analyzes the logging results, kind of like a, uh, I don't know, a chest X-ray. They look at it and they say, hey, guess what? Looks like you have one of the best, wells we've seen drilled in this area. It looks like it's loaded with gas. The zone is big. Looks like you found a home run. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's working out just like I thought. Life is good. We drill well number two. We drill well number three. We're ready to get in there and start completing these big gas wells, turn them on and prove that we have this enormous gas field. And guess what we get? We get marginal production. We get bad results. Now I've got investors involved. I'm not disappointed. I'm thinking there's got to be a problem, something I'm missing. What part of the equation have I not seen? What have I missed in the analysis? Have we drilled them wrong? Have we completed them wrong? Have we, have we not done something right to make these wells work? Because the expert, the, the physician, the surgeon that's looking at the at the chart says, you've got a great well. you got a great, this is a healthy client, a healthy patient. And I'm looking at the results saying, yeah, but this healthy patient can't walk 10 feet without passing out. There's a problem. What am I missing? Well, as it goes along, and this goes back to being able to push the envelope, instead of coming up with a decision and staying the path, knowing I was right, I gave up to pressure. And the pressure was my partners didn't have the same entrepreneur mindset. They didn't have the same uh, appetite for risk. They didn't have the same appetite for sticking to the core. So over a period of the next six or 12 months, I get frustrated partners. They can't believe that the well didn't work out. They can't believe we drilled three of them. So they start putting pressure. They said, Troy, we want out. We want out. We want out. I say, okay, fine, fine, fine. I give everybody that is involved. We will go sell these assets. We will back out. We'll go sell them to somebody else and we will going to do something. We'll write it off as a loss. And there's two parts to this answer. The first part is, let me tell you the end of the story. So Another company buys out our acreage position. They buy the three wells and the remaining uh, mineral acres that we had not developed. They come in, reanalyze it on their own. They come in and drill a few wells about six or eight months later and they drill about nine more wells later after that and they find an enormous gas field and they sell it for 250 million dollars, about 250 million dollars, about 24 months after we had drilled our first three wells. Do you know why? Because from the standpoint of where we drilled, the zone, the reservoir that we needed to be in was about 1,000 feet deeper at that location than what we'd anticipated because we just didn't have enough data. We didn't know that we should have drilled beyond the depth that we drilled at. We didn't know that the geology had shifted. And so from that standpoint, we thought we were in the main zone. In fact, we missed it by 1,000 feet. Just below our three wells was a mother load of gas. The company that analyzed what we had done wrong said they're drilled too shallow. They're just not even in the zone. They drilled it deeper, found all these great gas wells, sold all those reserves, $250 $250 million in the bank. And I looked at it and said, once again, you've got to think about sticking to your guns, being relentless, willing to sacrifice. I should have sacrificed and told my clients, you can get out if you want, you can exit. I'll take your interest. I'm going to keep plowing forward. Now I can give you dozens and dozens and dozens of examples like this, but when you're younger in life, you don't have the confidence to make tough decisions. You don't have the, the gonads. You don't have the ability to sit around and say, I don't care if you're 20 years older than me, you're wrong, I'm right. Not that I'm stupid or I'm arrogant or I'm I'm going to be dumb about it, but I'm going to be right. So that brings me to the last uh, concept of being a successful entrepreneur versus a flame out. You got to know when to cut your losses. I mean, I can tell you there are times when you get to a certain point and you say to yourself, I'm going to push the envelope beyond a level of comfort, beyond a level of, of common sense. I'm going to push the envelope, sticking to a path that creates a terminal end result. What does that mean in business? When you have a terminal end result, it means that the end result, if it concludes you were wrong, wipes you out. Bankruptcy, failure, closed stores, no longer in business, no more capital to spend, no more solutions, no more alternative routes to exit. When you make a terminal decision and you leave yourself no exit points, that's a bad decision. You know, when I go to Vegas, I'm real simple. I take a certain amount of money. I agree to gamble every dime of it. Don't care if I lose it all in the first hour. I've taken that as my risk capital. And when I end up investing that money in my entertainment, my gambling, I made a very simple decision. If I use it all, I then go look at shows. I go eat restaurants. I walk the strip. I have fun doing something else. But I don't go to the ATM machine. I don't go get credit. I don't draw down on my line of credit. I simply say, I put the money together that I wanted to risk and it didn't work. So you got to know when to stop. you got to know when you're going to walk away. The problem is, when I look at many of these organizations, they don't know when to walk away. I'm going to give myself as an example. In the 2008 crash, I found myself uh, all kinds of investments going on. Real estate, I had pipelines, I had oil and gas, exploration, and about everything I was involved in was massively affected by the downturn during the housing bubble in 2008. And so you think to yourself, wait a minute, I'm diversified. I've got plenty of cash coming from different resources. I've got several different businesses going. I am insulated in case one doesn't do good. I've got three others. When you go back and see what happens after a major global collapse like 2008, you start to realize that many of the investments, many of the businesses you had were effectively tied to the same kind of characteristics that are all going to be negatively affected. They had debt. They dealt with investors who had to make decisions on, what investments they were gonna stay with, stick with, pay for, which ones they were gonna cut and lose money. You had to stay with liquidity, how much cash, how long? How much powder did you have to put in the gun barrel to shoot the next shot to survive? Or was all your powder gone and you find yourself in an illiquid position? I'm assuring you that most of those businesses down in that college where I was at this weekend, very clearly had no cash or they had very limited cash. Their survivability was literally weeks away from when the pandemic occurred. Here's a good example for all of us. I don't know how many of you actually go to um, the Cheesecake Factory. I found this just unbelievable. So last March, when the whole shutdown across the globe takes place, and we start coming out with the fact that many of these businesses, retail businesses are gonna be crushed, throwing away food inventory, they're throwing away, got to fire employees, they're trying to figure out how to pay rent. And I'm not kidding, it seemed to me like around March the 10th or 13th, somewhere in that neighborhood of 2020 was when everybody started shutting in. And about a week and a half later, Here this is, huge cheesecake factory, franchise, corporate-owned all over America, came out and said about a week and a half later, we can't pay any of our rent for April. Zero of our stores can pay rent. And I'm thinking, whoa. What you're basically telling me is your customer, when that waitress picked up my bill and they took it to the cashier, that money went straight into your rent account to pay your rent in two weeks. The rotation of capital was so important that a 7, 14, 21-day downturn seemed to be the difference between making and breaking that corporation. Now, that tells me that corporation was in deep trouble long before COVID, in deep trouble based on the way it's managed. And I don't know anything about it. I'm just letting you know my perception. My perception was, wow, if it takes 14 to 21 days to wipe you out, you are not in a good place to start with. Hey, remember, by the way, middle of the show, coming, coming to the, having the fun part as I rattle on 150 miles an hour, which I love to do, your number you can call me anytime you want is 866- Four seven two fifty seven ninety. Again, it's talk with the text and money in life. And what I'm talking about right now is entrepreneurship. I'm talking about your life, how you live your life, what you're going to expect of yourself, how you're going to be as an entrepreneur, because the next part is going to talk to you about how you're actually going to use those eccentric, self-critiquing, hard-driving, unrelenting characteristics as an entrepreneur. And then you're going to have to start making some tough assessments. So let's talk about what those assessments look like. All right. First off, I like to use analogies, as many of you know from my previous shows, and my analogies are pretty simple. I see the business world as being, and and you as an entrepreneur, being subject to four things. You're going to start off as a seed. You'll develop into a sapling. Then if you're successful, you'll end up being a tree. And if you're really successful, you'll create an orchard. So let's go through and tell you what I mean. First and foremost, I'm going to look at the seed as being anything pre-college, college and before. Why is that? Because as a seed, you're in that position of being, you're protected. You got mom and dad's money. You got their house, their car, college funds. You got maybe a scholarship. You're very protected like a seed is. A seed is got a lot of potential, but it hasn't busted out yet. It's not ready to go. So because you have that protection, you're really not taking life serious because you feel like you got a little more time. You, you haven't quite germinated. You haven't quite developed where you're going to be on your own and you're going to have to tackle the world in front of you. You also are in a state of dormancy, you know? I don't know how many college buddies I had. They spent all their time down by the river. They were going out clubbing and my parents were broke. I, the word clubbing didn't have anything to do with my mind. I, I couldn't even think about taking a day off. I had three jobs. I was working hundred hours a week. I'm not complaining. Hell, it made me who I am. But I can tell you right now, laying out by the river, maybe once a year, if I had an extra three hours, that maybe if I was lucky. So there was a state of dormancy in many of these equally aged and, and college skilled individuals that I knew in college. And I'm thinking, OK, you you have a different life than me. You have you're protected. You've got family. You've got a state of dormancy. Um, you're in the, you're moving toward the process of reproduction because by having a college degree, it makes you poised to be successful. It makes you poised to be educated, it makes you poised to have the skills that maybe takes you to the next level. You know how many college people I hire at my company that have degrees all over the board from every degree you can think of and they come work for me? And I'm thinking, why are you working for me? You've got all these degrees, you have all these things you're doing, but you're working at my company. And I'm thinking, why didn't you do more with what you had? Now, this just is me being a little cynical looking backwards because everybody needs a job and I need skilled people at my company. So I'm not opposed to it, but it does make me scratch my head on my own when I get to the house thinking, huh, that's not unusual. I've got a guy that's graduated from Stanford and he's got a you know master's and he's coming to work for me. Why the hell did he go work for somebody that's a bigger company than my company? But the reality of it is, is that we all are in the process of reproduction it's just how fertile we are. How much did we absorb in order for making our seed, our life better? Did we pay attention to street smart stuff? Did we ask our parents, how do you change the tire? How to open a bank account? How do I get on computer? How do I program it? Did I find out how life really worked? Did I ask my parents the questions? Did I listen in class? No, I was jacking around. I was at the bars. I was down by the river. Well, that's cool. So you have a reproduction potential but it's been stymied by the lack of true self-application. You didn't put yourself out there to go to work. Now, the good thing about being a seed is the key word, can be sown. You can be sown. You can be put into a pattern of taking that seed and actually doing something great with it. Because if you're not limiting yourself based on your life's expectation, if you haven't created a barrier of excuses and, and delays and pointing the finger about why life hasn't been good to you, Well, hell, you can be a somewhat delayed dormant seed. You can be somewhat of a delayed process of reproduction type of a seed, but you know that you can be sown, you will be sown, and you choose to be sown into a path that leads you to possibly being an entrepreneur. So let's just take the example and say, I'm now only talking to the seeds who wanna be truly an entrepreneur, right? So what comes after a seed? The sapling, now it's a seed, is planted, it's, it's growing, it's busted out of the ground. You've now left college. Now you're in that, you know, I don't know, 22 year old to 35 year old range. And you're saying to yourself, now what do I do? Well, now I got to prove that I'm sustainable. Now I got to have enough chance to prove that my branch and my tree is not going to fall over with the first wind. I'm not going to get fired the first six months of my job because they think I'm an idiot and I didn't learn what I needed in college. I'm going to have to demonstrate that my skills and what I learned and how I learned and who I am as a character and my work ethics is going to get me where I want to go. By the way, these are all characteristics you have to have as an entrepreneur. Discipline, you gotta be skilled. You gotta be relentless. You gotta be reliable and accountable. You've got to think outside the box. You gotta protect the business. So when you come on board and you have that entrepreneur mindset, you're gonna expl- display that and exhibit that when you go to work for somebody else. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that when you're a sapling, it's all about economics. I need to get a paycheck, I need to pay my bills. My parents are gonna take care of me anymore. I wanna know there's some kind of remuneration that basically measures the job I get against where I position myself coming out of college. And then I'm going to look at that over a five, 10 year period of time and say, what do I want to gain by that first or second job? Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to have a resume. I want to build up who I am and that I am Uh, I can be employed. I can be successful at a job. I can demonstrate that I've earned a paycheck and I get a raise and I'm now moving into the point of maybe I'm going to get married. I'm going to start establishing my roots, whether those roots are marriage or not marriage, it doesn't matter. It just means whatever is in your plan, you're now sinking those roots in the ground and you're making that sapling start to grow and you're going to get fertilized by what you do. Classes you attend, uh, business meetings you go to, conferences you go to, additional programs that your job or your workforce has because you're saying to yourself, I'm not quite ready to fly out of the nest yet, but I'm gathering enough strength. And that strength comes by improving who you are. Now, when you grow, you're also going to hope, hopefully you're going to ask for a little respect. Now, this is not about like, hey, I, I respect you, you're a great guy, you come to work at a No, no. It's respect that your intellectual assets, the value that you've created inside of who you are at that point in time comes across so strong the people around you, your peers look at you and say, that guy knows what he's doing. That guy is working. That, that lady is really cranking out. That young lady is really smart at what she does. That team is really good. Those team leaders really have their stuff together and they're they're generating ideas and value. And they're, man, we're all doing our job. They're doing their job 110% better than we are because I mean, they're working longer hours. They're being smarter. They're doing research. They're investigating. They're asking questions. They're getting answers. That makes them earn the respect not only from their employer, but also within the industry they're in and also their peers that are hanging around. And so that respect creates something that is very, very strong when you decide to become an entrepreneur. And that's called value. You're creating a higher level of value in yourself than you would ever get by three college degrees or ever, that you'd ever get by working at the same place for 20 years. It, it doesn't have to do with time or education. It has to do with what you do with that time and what you do with your education that really creates the value. I've had a lot of college degree people come to work for me and literally it was an eight to five, no outside help, no outside thinking, no outside value creation. And you got exactly what you paid for. You know, I hire a guy to mow my grass for 50 bucks a week. He mows it. He does a great job. He's always going to be $50 a week to mow my grass. He's never tried, never will try to do anything beyond mowing the grass for $50. Not bad. I need somebody to mow my grass, but not an entrepreneur by heart because he's not thinking about how can I improve every day on who I am and what I do. So when you think about saplings, you think about what? They're put in place to prevent erosion. So when you start that first career, you don't wanna go backwards. You don't wanna end up on your parents' couch. You don't wanna unwind the footsteps you've already taken. You're gonna be storing like a sapling stores nutrients, man, It's, it's a tree, it's a trunk, it's getting branches. And what it's saying as it's starting to grow is that I'm gaining value, I'm putting value inside. Nothing replaces experience or education. It's providing oxygen. A sampling provides oxygen. Well, What is oxygen? Oxygen is energy level. You get a paycheck, you buy a car, you buy furniture, you get a house, you start getting married, having a family, you start taking trips, you travel, you get worldly experiences. You're now providing oxygen to your career because you're now having the experiences that only really, truthfully, money can help. You've got to be successful and have a job in order to have the money or the capital resources to go be able to get all those additional experiences under your belt. And that's the oxygen that makes you poised to be a great entrepreneur. And then last but not least, saplings absorb carbon dioxide. They, they absorb negativity. You're going to find that boss that you hate. You're going to find that coworker you can't stand. You're going to find that, that job you take on. I used to sell advertising for a very short period of time. I hated that job with a passion every day, I hated going out selling advertisement face-to-face. Nothing made me feel worse than selling advertisement for a number of reasons. One, I'd walk into a store. I'd ask the person up front, uh, is your manager? And I'd like to talk to them about marketing and advertising. Uh, just a minute, I'll find out. They'd walk right over to the manager 30 feet from me, ask him, he'd shake his head, no, come back, say, he's not in right now. I go, You mean the guy right there in the green pants with a shirt that says manager on his jacket? You mean that guy has no common courtesy to at least look at me and go, Hey, leave me your card. I'm busy right now, but I'll, I'll call you back, or maybe you can check me next week. No professional courtesy at all. Because why? There was no reason for that manager to do any more to talk to me because he either wasn't in charge of marketing, it made no difference to his paycheck. He didn't care if the store succeeded or failed. And so I was nothing more than a fly at his picnic. I was just in his way. But my personality was such, I would be confrontational. i go right up to go, what is your problem? Do you think you're something special? You're a nobody just like everybody else. You could have had the common courtesy like an individual in charge to at least show a common courtesy, but you didn't. That means I don't wanna sell you advertisers. I'm not coming back. You don't deserve to be in my publication. Now, needless to say, that business did not go very well for me. I did not get invited back to multiple stores. And so I decided that advertisement sales was not something that Troy was good at. Talk with a Texan, right? So I go to something I'm better at, which is only gas and expertise and alternative assets and and tangible resources, right? So what you do as a sapling, when you're between that 22 and 35 years old, you're learning how to absorb negativity, how to manage it, not be poisoned by it, not let it kill your, your soul and your heart and your enthusiasm, but you learn how to monitor it. And as a result of monitoring it, it makes you stronger. Because the more carbon dioxide, the more negativity you learn to, to bring in, you also build up a thickness in your bark. Your skin gets thicker. Your, your attitude gets thicker. You're like, ah, I've seen 10 guys act just like you. It doesn't bother me. I don't need to get all bent out of shape because guys like you or ladies like you come and go. You'll be exactly in the same rut. 20 years from now, you'll still be the same manager, the same store, trying to figure out how you're going to live on Social Security. Now, I'm not making fun of people who don't make money. I'm not making funny of people who have Social Security. But look, the show's not called uh, Poverty and Life. It's called Money in Life. And money and life means I'm trying to figure out how to have the life that I want and make the money I need. And today's show is all about realizing that our greatest competition is ourselves. It's ourselves in what we see in ourselves, where we want to go, recognizing our strengths and our weaknesses. It's recognizing the things that we're going to do in our life to get the things that we want to make our life complete. That is that is totally self. My goal, the expectation I have myself, when I take my last breath, I'm going to be thinking about my family. I'm going to be thinking about... Did I do what I wanted to do? Did I go where I wanted to go? How did I end up with my life? And I think that's really cool. So let's get down to the last two things. The last two things are pretty simple. It is about being a tree or an orchard. Now, the tree and the orchard is simple because I know I'm going to run out of time on this show. And I mean, I got so much more to tell you. But let's let's just summarize it like this. A tree is where you become when you're 40 and older, in my view. Not normal, but just I'm picking a number. could be 39, could be 37, could be 50. But a tree is somebody who is now so in, in rooted. They're so rooted in who they are. They know where they're going in life. They really they really get what they see in themselves. They're old enough, mature enough. They're not going to change location. They're not going to change formation. They're really going to just see how really fruitful they get. How big are the branches of their life? Do they become a mentor? Do they become somebody who uh, keeps taking risks? or Do they modify those risks by shortening the, the uh, canopy of their life? Um, and when you finally get to the orchard, the orchard is the fun part. That's the, that's the part of my life I'm in today. The part of my life I'm in today is I know I've already succeeded. I have already know I've been a success multiple times. I know I've had multiple failures. I know that I've gone up, I've gone down. But at my age of my life at 57 years old and having worked with thousands of millionaires for 36 years, the tree I am is who I know what my core and my roots are all about. Who I am as a man, who I am as a father, a grandfather, as a Christian, who I am as a human being. And now somebody walks by and go, that's a pecan tree. That tree looks like it's 25 years old. It's been there for 50 years, 100 years. They look at you as a mighty oak, or they look at you as a tree that's distorted and bent over and trees uh, broken. And you say, wow, was that a storm? Did something hit them so hard that it knocked them down to its knees? Or is it just the way that that seed was planted? Was the sapling affected early on? Did it find itself in drugs or alcohol? Or did it find itself limiting its growth because it didn't take the extra time to set deeper roots? And so, this is the kind of thing that we have to think about if we're going to be truly successful. Remember, this is all about talk with the text and money and life. So, I'm going to wrap it up by saying this look, the true goal for each of us is to truly leave our legacy as an orchard. An orchard is exactly that it's the legacy of decisions. It is about the friends you have, the experiences that you live, it's about leaving assets in place that make your family know that you did the right thing it makes sure that 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 your anchor and your roots were so solid that at the end of the day it creates additional trees by your sons your daughters your grandsons your granddaughters your friends your the people that you mentor i'm going to challenge each one of you listening today find somebody in your group find somebody you know and start becoming a mentor helping them challenging them to be self-critiquing to be stronger to use their experience to use the time they have to be better at being an entrepreneur and what I want you to do is don't be discouraging. That's too easy. Everybody can be negative. Be a positive influence, but don't be soft. Tell them like it is. Hey, listen, folks, this is Troy Eckerd. I am Talk with a Texan, Money in Life. I love my shows. Thank you for joining. Thanks for the energy, because I get a lot of you contacting me back. It's fantastic to know I'm helping you. Keep sending in those ideas. Next week, we're going to be talking real estate. So tune in. I'm going to be talking about how to make some money in some real estate and some of the pitfalls that you have to watch for. Signing off for now, Troy Eckerd. Uh, Talk with the Texan, money and life. you will have a great, fantastic, successful week. Take care.
0: Thanks to all our incredible friends for joining Troy for today's show, Talk with the Texan, money and life. Please join your host, Troy Eckert, for another edition of the program every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific time and 5 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Troy, engage him, challenge him but most importantly listen to him three decades of expertise at your disposal we'll see you here next week